Welcome to Learn About Sleep While Falling Asleep. This is Janice. This is Nicole. This is a unique podcast. It is an educational podcast that wants you to fall asleep. Tonight we're going to be talking about the basics, disorders, and misconceptions of sleep. Sleep is not uniform, and it is instead made up of several rounds of sleep cycles. Within the sleep cycle, there are four stages. One for rapid eye movement, otherwise known as REM sleep, and three that form non-REM sleep. Stage one, or N1, is known as the dozing off stage and lasts for one to five minutes. Stage two, N2, is the next stage where the body enters a more subdued state. At the same time, the brain waves slow, but there are still short bursts of activity. We typically spend about half our sleep time in N2 sleep. The third stage is called N3, also known as deep sleep. This is the hardest stage to wake someone up from. The brain activity during this period has an identifiable pattern known as delta waves. Therefore, this stage is also called delta sleep or short wave sleep. Now we move on to the sleep stage, otherwise known as REM sleep. During REM sleep, the brain activity picks up similar to how you would be if you were awake. It's not just your brain. Your eyes and your muscles that control your breathing begin to move. Even though your eyes are closed, they can be seen quickly moving, hence the name rapid eye movement or REM sleep. REM is essential to cognitive functions like memory, learning, and creativity. It is the place of the most vivid dreams. While dreams can occur at any sleep stage, they are less common and intense in the non-REM periods. In total, you would go about a fourth of the night in the REM stages. To reiterate, these are just the stages, but throughout a sleep cycle, you may go through multiple stages multiple times. These stages matter because they are important to allow the brain and body to recover from the day and to develop further. While there are many factors that can play into improving your sleep cycle and progression through each stage, the main one is gaining proper alignment with your circadian rhythm. Your circadian rhythm is your body's internal clock. It's directly influenced by environmental cues, especially light, which is why it's also tied to your sleep-wake cycle. When properly aligned, a circadian rhythm can promote inconsistent and restorative sleep. But when the circadian rhythm is off, it can create significant sleep problems that we will mention later on. During the day, light exposure causes your master clock to send signals that generate alertness and can keep us awake and active. As night falls, that master clock initiates the production of melatonin, a hormone that promotes sleep. As night falls, the master clock initiates the production of melatonin, a hormone that promotes sleep and that keeps transmitting signals that keeps us asleep throughout the night. In this way, our circadian rhythm aligns with our sleep and wakefulness with the day and night. Create a stable cycle of restorative rest that enables increased daytime activity. Now let's talk about sleep debt. If you're already asleep by this moment, you're probably suffering from severe sleep debt. Sleep debt is the difference between the amount of sleep someone needs and the amount they actually get. And sleep debt is cumulative. So going to sleep 30 or an hour later can really add up. So what's the solution? The easiest way to avoid the consequences of lost sleep is to avoid accumulating it in the first place. The average person needs about seven to nine hours of sleep. And speaking from experience, we often don't get that. 
This brings us to the sleep and dreams and Professor Dement's legacy phrase, drowsiness is red alert. Drowsiness means you're seconds away from sleep. It should be a wake up call. It's like as if you were behind the wheel of a car driving down the highway. Drowsiness may mean you were seconds from disaster. If everyone responded as if it were an emergency when they became aware of feeling drowsy, enormous amount of human suffering and catastrophic events would be avoided. Seconds away from sleep may mean seconds away from death. Therefore, we must treat drowsiness and sleep debt not just as a sign of low tiredness, but as a red alert. So setting a sleep schedule, assessing your daytime habits and sleep environment are a good place to start when trying to prioritize your sleep hygiene. Even taking an afternoon nap or two may help with recovering from sleep debt. While it is not necessarily a replacement for lost sleep, at least you'll be able to feel more rested during the day. Remember, drowsiness is red alert and sleep debt is not something to be taken lightly. That's really interesting. Thanks so much for sharing, Janice. Now I'd like to share a little information about some common sleep disorders and hopefully clear up some of the many misconceptions surrounding it. So one of the most common sleep disorders is insomnia, which is this condition where it can be really hard to fall asleep or stay asleep and that results in some form of daytime impairment. And um, I want to note that like some people just require more or less sleep than others and that's totally okay like you know some people only need five hours of sleep some people like myself need a lot more um and a lack of sleep is really only abnormal when that starts to affect your daily life so if that's really affecting your ability to perform at work or at school or it's affecting your social life and interactions with other people like that's when you really need to look at it and think about speaking to a doctor Um, And it's really common. It's estimated that one in every four adults has complained about insomnia. And even though that number is like super high, only one out of every 20 of them will even bring this up to their doctor. Um, And like insomnia has been linked to increased risk for depression, generalized anxiety disorder, and coronary heart disease. Like there's a million other things that it's been linked to. Um, So it's really important to speak up and reach out to your doctor if you think you might be experiencing this because they can definitely try and help. Um, So there's three different subtypes of insomnia, chronic, short-term, and then other unspecified types. And uh, chronic insomnia requires symptoms that occur at least three times per week for three months. And then a diagnosis of short-term insomnia typically requires just three months or less of these symptoms. And then any symptoms that don't meet these frequency requirements are just categorized as other insomnia disorders and that is determined by provisional diagnosis from your doctor. Um, So there are several different types of treatments to help this. Um, Prescription medicine, so antipsychotics and antidepressants um, have been used to help sedate people and kind of bring them some relief and there is a lot of success with that. But another misconception is that, you know, when people are able to fall asleep on these drugs, like, they think that they're getting good quality sleep. And in reality, like, it is just sedating them. It's not necessarily, like, the same good quality sleep that you really want to be having. Um, So that's just really important to note. Um, And then a non-medication route to try and treat this disorder is through CBT, which is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. 
and that really focuses on exploring this connection between the way we think, things we do, and how we sleep, and um, that's also shown some success with helping people with their insomnia. So the next topic we're going to discuss is sleep paralysis, and this disorder is a condition where you have a temporary inability to move or speak while falling asleep or upon waking. Um, conservative estimate is that 6.2% of adults have experienced at least one sleep paralysis episode in their lifetime. Um, I personally have really struggled with this. Um, and I can speak on, um, especially my first experience with it, it was seriously like one of the most frightening things that's ever happened to me. Um, I fell asleep and my mind woke up and I could hear the people around me talking but I couldn't wake my body up and it was so scary because at the time I really thought like I might die or I was dead I was like what is going on um and you know when I spoke to my parents when I finally did woke up and I spoke to my parents and my friends about it they kind of looked at me like I was crazy um and it wasn't until I reached out to a doctor about it and started doing my own research online where I found out that this is something that other people experience. Um, and yeah, my first experience with that is really common. Like most people's first time having sleep paralysis is very distressing. Um, but as they continue to have more episodes, um, they will become less frightened over time because they know that they will eventually come out of it. Um, so yeah like the treatment for this um there isn't like a medication that has been proven to be super effective at treating this um there's some medications that improve cataplexy that can help but um pretty much what causes sleep paralysis is usually like just a lot of stress and um irregular sleep schedules like the people who seem to get it the most often are like students and psychiatric patients and you know especially with students like they're up all night like doing work you're up at weird hours you're not sleeping as much you're sacrificing sleep for exams like it makes a lot of sense that this population would experience sleep paralysis um and also common in anyone who just has irregular sleep schedules um i know for myself I experienced it the most when I was jet lagged and traveling and I would experience it on planes when I would fall asleep, was usually super tired, maybe I had an early flight or hadn't sleep, hadn't slept in a long time. Um, and that's when I would experience it. And so the treatment for this is pretty much just maintain a regular sleep schedule and decrease the amount of stress you have. And for most people, if they're able to start doing this, their symptoms will get better. Um, but yeah, that is pretty much the current protocol for sleep paralysis. And it really helped me. So if you're experiencing this, definitely recommend looking into trying to make your sleep schedule on a more consistent and taking a little stress, taking a little stress off yourself and relax a little bit. All right, guys. So the last topic that we're going to get into is just a couple of different factors that affect your sleep um and i want to start off with jet lag because anyone who has traveled to different time zones um has probably experienced this and it's a really uncomfortable feeling and it's definitely my least favorite part of traveling 
Um, so yeah, jet lag is uh, a condition that is characterized by various psychological and physiological effects um, following flights from different time zones and results in a disruption in the circadian rhythms in the human body. And if you didn't know, your circadian rhythm is the natural internal process that regulates the sleep-wake cycle and repeats on each rotation of the earth, which is obviously 24 hours. Um, so yeah, this can be really disruptive to your sleep schedule. Um, I remember when I was in Australia for a month and then I flew to back home and I was in the middle of finals week at school and I was literally like just so tired during the day and then at night I would be like wide awake and that was like a massive adjustment for me um, and so trying to get back on that normal sleep schedule of wherever you live is um, really important to try and do to decrease the amount of time that you're experiencing jet lag. Yeah, so um, the last factor I kind of wanted to go over was screen time. Um, obviously, screen time has really increased with the pandemic. Um, having all of my classes on Zoom, I'm like on my computer 24-7 and then like, you know, like, having to see friends over zoom and like facetime people like i'm constantly on my phone um and that's really disruptive to your sleep cycle um especially late at night um the more screen time you have late at night um it can really like decrease your melatonin production and um kind of affect your circadian rhythm and delay it and it just kind of really screws your body up um, so it's really recommended to try and put down devices at least one to two hours before you're planning on going to bed or if you really absolutely have to use them and like you're just on total time crunch um, try and invest in some of those like blue light glasses like that like block the light um, a lot of my friends have tried them and had a lot of success with it so I recommend it. Um, I have not tried them myself, but um, I will be getting a pair. Um, and yeah, I think that, you know, practicing good sleep hygiene and not being on your phone directly before bed will definitely help you with your sleep. Um, so yeah. Thanks again, Nicole, for sharing your story and your insight. We want to thank you again for listening and learning about sleep while you fall asleep. And remember, drowsiness is red alert.